Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter three, verses one to twenty-six. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, "Look at us." So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, "Silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk." Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at a temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running into them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, "Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power?" O godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the good Lord, and that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive Him until the time comes for God to re- restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets, for Moses said, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people." Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets. And of the covenant God made with your fathers, He said to Abraham, "Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. If you can have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 3, that'd be great. We're going through uh, the series uh, in through Acts. Um, last week we talked about living church and what a healthy church looks like, and it devotes itself into four, uh, to four things. Apostles teaching, uh, learning and, and teaching the Bible, uh, fellowship being a loving church, and also worshiping church, praying church, dependent church uh, on God, um, and, but also evangelism, um, out, uh, a church that looks outwardly. Um, and we will continue that story, how the, this church continues to go, uh, go out uh, with the gospel to bring salvation to other uh, to those around them. Uh, But as we come to that text, uh, let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are speaking, God. And we pray that you will speak to us, that we may live um, to be a church um, that does bring glory to you, that our lives may bring praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We call many things miracles. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, I was barely born, but when 1980 U.S. Olympics team, the, the, the whole bunch of amateurs beat the Soviet Union's hockey team, Al Michaels famously shouts out, do you believe in miracles? It was a miracle that U.S. beat the Soviet Union team. And when our, you know, we say a miracle happened, our children get up on time or you come to church on time, well, these may be completely unexpected, or they should be expected. You should come on time at the church. Um, unexpected, they aren't really miracles. Well, what happened to this lame man was a miracle. There can't be any doubt of misdiagnosis here. So take a look at verse 2. This man was lame from birth. He had never walked in his life. He sat there every day at the temple court begging. This isn't this wasn't about giving sort of a peace of mind to somebody who's really troubled, as miraculous that might be. This is something that really couldn't be done in any other way. This man had never walked, and he jumps and runs at the end of the story. It can't be explained in any other way. See verse 8, and how excited he is. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went, and went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. I don't want to talk uh, too much about this, but uh, because I know, uh, because this isn't the point of this passage, but I know that this is a question that might be on your mind. So let me answer the question Does God heal like this today? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, God does still miraculous things, God does heal. But no, it's not supposed to happen every day, and it is truly miraculous when it happens. When miracles don't happen to us, it's not because of lack of faith. It's not necessarily because of lack of faith. This isn't supposed to happen as a norm. First, we have to remember not to put ourselves in the position of Peter and John, the apostles of Christ, the foundations of the church, apostles who are set apart to build the church, to be the foundations of the church. We're told, remember, in chapter 2, verse 22, that Jesus was a man accredited by God with signs, miracle signs and wonders. Jesus Christ was a man of signs and wonders. 
And then Luke describes the apostles in verse 43, 243, as people of signs and wonders. Obviously, they were set apart by Christ to continue the work of Christ. Remember how the woman was healed by just touching Jesus' garment in Luke 8? Well, we'll see in uh, chapter 5, Peter, Peter's shadows heals people. In chapter 19, Paul's handkerchief and apron will heal the sick. Peter and Paul are foundations of Christ, uh, Christ's church. And it's important, it was important to show, uh, uh, for God to show that his work is continuing through these apostles in these last days. Secondly, these miracles point to Jesus and this special time of messianic, uh, uh, the Messiah's coming. This, uh, this, um, uh, miracle, Isaiah prophesied that the lame will, uh, will, will, will leap like a deer, Isaiah 35, 6. See, miracles had a purpose to show that the time of Messiah was going to be fulfilled. The Messianic age has come with Jesus. So that has been fulfilled. The purpose has been fulfilled. And out of this passage, if, if out of this passage we only ask, can God heal me? Can God, does God heal all the time? Well, we missed the whole point of this. The point of this miracle was to show that the Messianic age has come, that that uh, prophecy uh, uh, was fulfilled, that Christ's work continues with the apostles. Thirdly, the Bible does speak of a time when everyone will be healed, and it's not now. It's when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, all will be healed. All our problems will go away. Jesus will wipe the tears off off from our eyes. This will happen. It might happen surprisingly at times by, by God's mysterious and divine will, even now. But it will happen completely when Jesus comes back. It's not supposed to be the norm for now. Of course, God still heals, but we aren't meant to go around uh, to the lame men that we see on festival walk and say, get up and walk. That's not our role. So we then ask, what is this story all about? What is this story all about? Well, it's about Christ. It's about Christ's identity. It's, um, but, of course, that's not what the beggar expected. Um, he wanted money as he was uh, begging at the gate. I don't know about you, but I actively avoid people who are begging. Um, uh, I contact with people who are begging because when I see them, I feel compelled to give them something. But Peter was looking for a chance to share this, wasn't he? He saw a chance to share something with this beggar. Peter and John looked straight at him, and to make sure that he was looking, he says, look at, uh, look at us in verse 4. And when he did, he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The beggar was looking for money, but Peter had something even more valuable than gold and silver. Money can feed that beggar for a day, but uh, being able to walk, being able to walk will give him power to work to do things, to worship God in the temple as well. He gives, them, give, he gives them something that's far more valuable than money. He gives them the ability to walk. And actually, Peter gives him uh, much more than that. Way more, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has, been, that has completely healed him, as you can see. 
the end of the result of this end result of this miracle was that this man had faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what everyone really needs. This is what he needed. This is what we all need. We need faith in Christ. Because Peter will continue to talk about this. Well, he'll be, um, he'll be confronted about this miracle in chapter 4. And when he talks about uh, the miracle again in chapter 4, verse 12, it's not just faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus will bring salvation. That's the point of this whole thing. He says in 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which, we, by which we must be saved. This man came to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So when Peter gave uh, this gift of faith in Jesus, he gave him salvation. He gave him something that was much more valuable than gold or silver. I know uh, m- many of you know that I subscribe to all sorts of different podcasts, and one of the things uh, that I listen to is All Souls uh, uh, a sermon. They're actually interestingly going through um, a preaching series on chapter uh, on on Acts, um, uh, and they just preached on Acts three. And I listened to it actually um, more than the the content. I thought that the title was super interesting. The title actually of that sermon in chapter three was "Generous Church, Generous Church." And it meant to, I started thinking to myself, generous church, why that, why this passage for that title? Why generous church? And I thought to myself, as a church, do we share what is most valuable with others? Of course, we need to share our golden money. Uh, gold and silver, silver are money. Of course, we need to find ways to help those people in the church and outside with our money. There are needs in the world, and we need to. We have a responsibility to shine that light. So, mercy, justice uh, ministry is necessary. Compassion ministry is necessary. Development work is necessary. Not only giving people the money, but being able, uh, giving people the ability to walk, to to develop, uh, to education, uh, opportunities, or justice. That work is necessary. If we aren't doing it, if we aren't doing this, we are being stingy with the gifts that God has given us. But more than anything else, if we don't share the gospel message, we are being stingy. Gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give to you. If we think, if we believe that this is the greatest gift that we have been received, we have, we have received, and we don't share that message with other people, we are being stingy. We're not being a generous church. I think, um, I, one of the big reasons why we don't share this is because I just don't think that we're convinced that this is the most valuable thing that we have. We do not believe that this is the most valuable thing that we have. We still continue to believe money and gold and silver. That's the most important thing. We still believe that development work, whatever that we can give, that's the most important thing. If we believe that, we won't share the gospel, will we? We have to believe that this is the most important thing that God has given us. This is the most precious thing that we can have. It doesn't mean that we stop being generous with our money. It doesn't mean that we stop being generous with our gifts. But we have to be generous with the message that God has given us. Later on, Peter will write a letter to the church being persecuted and jailed and killed for their faith. And... uh, uh, 
instead of praying for change in their circumstance, he, Peter reminds them of what they already have. This is what he says. These persecutions have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Faith in Jesus Christ, he says, is more precious than gold. And I can think of, I, mean, I can imagine Peter thinking of this moment as he writes this letter. This is the most precious thing that you have, he says, because it guarantees what can never perish, spoil, or fade on our inheritance in Christ Jesus, he writes in First Peter. If we understood this, wouldn't we share the gospel with others? There is place for compassion and justice and mercy. But we must also share this, this message. We must be looking for opportunities to share this message of the gospel. And when we are, uh, when we share this, we can be confident that actually people are looking for this. People have been looking. They are looking for the gospel message. Peter makes it clear that Christ is the person whom Jewish people have been waiting for in this little sermon that he gives. Just take a look at how he goes through all the Bible passage, all Old Testament, to make the point that, you know, who you have been waiting for, that's Jesus. He makes a point in verse 22. He says that Jesus is somebody that the prophets have promised long ago, verse 21. He points out in verse 22 and 23 that Moses prophesied that Jesus would come and that you must listen to him. In verse 24, Peter says, Samuel and all the prophets had foretold of Jesus' coming. In verse 25, he brings out the biggest prophet, Abraham. Father Abraham said that all, um, that Christ will be, through Christ, all people will be blessed. Peter says that the Messiah, uh, Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah that they had waited for. And really, it's not just the Jewish people. Gentiles have been waiting for Christ too. When Paul goes to Athens in um, Acts chapter 17, he will say, he'll say, you have a statue to an unknown God. You have been searching for him. The God who made the, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And then he'll say, that is Christ. He says, you have been looking for Christ. I'm going to tell you about the God that you have been searching for. People are looking for Christ even now, all over in different ways. When people sense that there is uh, absolute right and wrong, but they're not sure why, they think, well, if I, they, they, the world tells them this is not wrong, but then there's a niggling feeling that it is wrong. Well, they're lo- looking for God. They're looking for Christ because he is the basis of moral absolutes. When people sense the grandeur of the nature and, that, and see that there is something divine in the nature, they're looking for Christ. Nature's beauty, complexity, and its sheer unlikeliness of its being all point to creator God, Christ. We also know that people are looking for Christ um, because we're looking for heroes. We love hero stories. We all sense that there is something wrong with the world, that evil is beyond our powers to overcome, and we're looking for somebody to come and fix the problem. This is why I think for stories like Superman or Batman, superhero movies, Harry Potter, X-Men or whatever, is really popular. It's timeless because we all sense in these stories something that's wrong with the world and with us, and we are looking for somebody to save us. People who are searching for meaning and purpose in this world, in life, are looking for Christ, for whom they were made. People who are lost in idol worship, 
are looking for Christ. Once again, Athens was filled with statues of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, Ares, the god of war, Artemis, the god of, uh, goddess of fertility and wealth. Our contemporary society pretends that we have moved beyond these uh, gods, but really, idols are all the same, aren't they? We don't physically kneel before these idols, uh, statue of Aphrodite, but there are plenty of men who will do anything for a beautiful woman, and women who will do anything to be beautiful. We might not burn incense to Artemis, but money and careers have been uh, raised to this godlike level, and we sacrifice our family, we've sacrificed our health, we've sacrificed our children's well-being for this. We have idols because we are looking for a savior. We're looking for God to worship, true God to worship. We're looking for something that's beyond ourselves. And this is why human beings find it so natural to worship. That's why people worship stars, mountains, trees, and even animals. We worship anything that's around us. We are serial idolaters because we are made to worship something that's bigger than us. I love how G.K. Chesterton puts it in a book called Everlasting Man. It says the crooks and crisis is that man found it natural to worship, even natural to worship unnatural things. The posture of, an, uh, of the idol might be stiff and strange, but the gesture of the worshiper was generous and beautiful. He not only felt freer when bent, he actually felt taller when he bowed. It feels natural for us to worship something because we are made to worship Christ. We are made to worship God. And people out there are worshiping all sorts of other things other than Jesus Christ because they're looking for Christ to worship. If you're a Christian, let me, let me say, please know that you have found the one that you are looking for. Someone who is more precious than anything that the world can offer. And it may do you uh, some good to just pause and search in your hearts to see if you're really worshiping Christ or an idol that's in there. Are you worshiping Christ in your life? Or are you still worshiping an idol? Are you still looking? If you're not a Christian, please know that Christ is who you are look- looking for. He is the ground for right and wrong. He is our creator. All goodness that we idolize are found ultimately in Christ. In him, our hearts find rest, as Augustine would say. So once again, don't be stingy with this message. Be generous. Let's tell others, our non-Christian friends, that the good news, uh, that Christ is the end of our search, destiny of our heart's yearning, a home for homesickness. Christ is the answer. So Peter pleads. Peter pleads with the crowd. He's not just telling the people who have gathered at Solomon's portico. He's not just sharing. He's pleading. Because it's possible also to make the wrong choice, to be not, not, not see this, not be able to see this. And the consequences are terrible. If we don't make the right choice, we unwittingly go against God himself. Look at how uh, Peter puts in verse 13. It's God versus them. Verse 13. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of our fathers, has glorified Jesus. God glorified Jesus. He then will say, you 
on the other hand, handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he has decided to let him go. Did you catch that? God did this. You disowned him. You handed him over. He continues in verse 14. You disowned the holy and righteous one. Verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. It's God versus you. He does it again in verse 17. I know that you acted in ignorance as you did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through, uh, through all the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. You didn't know what you were doing, but God knew. This was God's way of saving the world. God versus them. And he's pleading. He's saying, don't be on the wrong side of history. Because opposing God means opposing God himself. Repent. This is not a fight that you can win, he's asking. Apparently, President Obama has been using the phrase, the wrong side of history, quite a bit. He used it in his first speech, in his inauguration speech, um, uh, when he spoke about uh, dictators being on the wrong side of history. He recently spoke about Russia being on the wrong side of history when it took over Ukraine. This is all interesting, because uh, parts of Crimea. This is all interesting because uh, usually when we speak history, of history, we're thinking of things in the past. Because only when we look to the past, we can determine which, which, which was the right side of history, which is on the wrong side of history. Present and future is very difficult to tell, right? But, so what does it mean when Obama says, be on the right side of history? These people are on the wrong side of history. What he's really doing is speaking, he's speaking about the present and the power and might of the United States of America. He's saying, what he's really saying is he will make sure that these dictators are on the wrong side of history with the power and might of you, uh, the United States. He will make sure that Russia will be on the wrong side of history because he has power to dictate at, on, uh, to, to a degree where, how the history will move. But this is the thing. When Peter warns all of us, when Peter warns his audience, he's speaking of power that's much greater than the power of a country. He's speaking of God, God's power and might, who has determined the past, who is determining the present, who will determine the future. The future has been revealed. This is not a prediction of what's to come. This warning has all the force and might of God Almighty. And he says rejecting Christ is, is being on the wrong side of history because Christ will come and judge the world. And you and me, well, you and I, we, we have been entrusted with this knowledge of the future. And we have to go and warn, as Peter did back then, warn others about this. Part of our speaking must include a call to repentance. Repent, then, and turn to, uh, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. The time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Verse 19. The good news for all this is that we know ultimately that it wasn't the Jewish people who killed Christ. Peter said that they acted in ignorance. But God had foretold this death, that Christ must suffer through the prophets. God had planned this death. 
the Lord of history, the author of life, came up to earth. He went to the cross voluntarily to, show, to forgive us of our sins, to take the sins, God's wrath upon himself, that we might have time of refreshing, refresh, refreshing that we would, our sin, sins would be wiped out. We do have a gift that's more precious than gold and silver. You have to know that. And it's a message that it's the answer to what people have been looking for. You have to remind yourself of this as you go out. And we must warn others. For Christ is our Savior. He is our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for Peter's sermon. We thank you that not only do you have power to heal, but you have power to grant salvation to all, who do, uh, all those who turn to you. Lord, remind us of what we have, re- we have received, the good news that we have received, and help us to be a generous church in sharing not only the things that you have given us, but this message of the gospel to all those who are around us. Give us the confidence that you are the answer to the things that people are looking for. And remind us of who you are as the author of history and of the judge of history. And help us to go out and, and warn those who might not yet know you um, of, of, of the history of, 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 of the end that is coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.